God blimey, what's putting on? That's old of a night, am <laughs> Blimey, he was entitled to die. But he'd probably look forward to it. I mean, did you realise that if he'd have been a fella, he'd have been knocking on a hundred and fourteen? That's stupid, I mean, all, all this fuss. You don't expect to live to be a hundred and fourteen, do you? <laughs> no, I don't. And my dear Hugo, I don't want you hanging around. I'd probably end up the same as him. Don't you worry, mate. They won't be worth their while. They'll probably get a hold of you into one tin. <laughs> Where are you going? Where are you going? I'm going down to the church. Say a little prayer to God. You better give him your name and address, because he won't remember who you are. <laughs> Welcome to Who and Company, where Doctor Who fans join the company to discuss themselves and their work, Doctor Who, and another show they love. This is episode 57. I'm Brent. And I'm Drew. This month's guest should be familiar to listeners of Doctor Who podcasts, both visually and audibly. He's our co-host on the long-running The Doctor Who podcast, and he runs a video podcast called Who's He, along with an audio version of the same show. Who's he? Well, he's podcaster Phil Cannon. Phil joins us to discuss his Doctor Who beginnings, his entry into podcasting, and just a just a bunch of stuff. Then Phil brings along his pick of the month, the classic British sitcom Steptoe and Son. We talk about how the show had two runs on television in the 60s and 70s, how it spawned many international spinoffs, and why it holds a special place in Phil's heart. And all that's coming up right after this. <laughs> This month's guest can be heard on the Doctor Who podcast and also on his own show, The Who's He Podcast, which is an audio and video. Phil Cannon, welcome to Who and Company. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very, very glad to be here. It's great to see you. You know, we, we, we record these podcasts together and uh, I think it's the first time, I mean, uh, clearly our audiences home are just listening to this, but we can all see each other and that's a really nice change. Um, it is actually, it is. There's a certain evolution to podcasting uh, that has included a video element that's that's sort of become a little bit more prevalent in the last, I would say, 18 months. I don't know why, uh, uh, but... Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what's gone on over the last 18 months to sort of revolutionize <laughs> audio-video. Like for people sitting, to... sitting in front of a, a computer a lot more often than I used to. Oh, I know, I know. It's, it's very weird, very weird. But no, I, th- I think this has sort of revolutionised podcasting. It really has. Um, I think it's, uh, it's really great to actually look at the person you're talking to um, rather than just sort of imagining 
what they're <laughs> what they're doing or what they look like, or <laughs> are they taking the interest <laughs> no, feel, in what you're saying? Or <laughs> I feel like one of those kind of like professional podcasters who you you see video footage of, and you know it's like in Los Angeles where they you know the guests are coming to the station where they could sit across from each other, and you've got that mic hanging in between them. It's like we can all see oh, each other yeah. with all of our Doctor Who backgrounds. I know oh, I would kill for that setup. I really would do. <laughs> Yeah, well, well, until travel becomes well, or podcasting becomes a lot more po- uh, profitable, I yes. think we're good with this. Um, speaking of, how is your? Is it? Do, do we still call it a lockdown? How is your pandemic coming along? Our pandemic. Well, um, everything is as we recalled. Um, everything is open. Um, there's not much locked down at the moment. Uh, but now there's talk of sort of. Going, everyone going back to working from home again because the the cases are shooting up um, in the UK uh, right now. And I think in the in the league table of COVID, I think the US is number one, and we're now just behind you in in infection rates at the moment. So uh, we um, well we're, we're, we're winning something, but I don't think it's something we actually want to win. If you see what I mean? So, no, I know. No, yeah, I can just hear the chanting of "We're number one, we're number one," and it's like guys. <laughs> You know, I I feel that sense of pride as well, but maybe maybe we want to choose something else. Like I don't know, education would be great. Yes, be fantastic. Healthcare would be fantastic. COVID cases, not so much. No, no, I could I could leave that well behind. Actually, yeah. So uh, yeah, but yeah, say that we've had the government saying there's going to be no lockdown over winter, which probably means over winter there will be a lockdown because um, yeah, anything our government seems to say. It, it's the complete reversal in a couple of weeks' time. So uh, we're, we're, all, we're all geared up for another lockdown over here at the moment. But uh, hey, if it saves lives, who cares? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm glad that you have that attitude. Uh, it doesn't seem to be as popular over here in the United States. But um, there you go. Brent, how are you doing, bud? Doing well. Um, everything's pretty much gotten back to normal. Um, but we still have... It, it's kind of like... Um, when the pandemic was in full full blast there, uh, you know, you knew that you had to wear a mask everywhere you went. And now in North Carolina, at least, um, there's you have to look for a sign on the door now. Some places don't care and some places enforce it. So uh, it's a little different now. But uh, I mean, we always carry our mask wherever we go uh, and, and wear them. Uh, but as far as everything else, it seems like the uh, the place that I work at has uh, started to pick up a lot in the business. So I, um, I think all that's going a little well. Um, so it seems to be coming around. That's good. Yeah, I, I won't go anywhere without a mask on. Um, just because I've had some people close to me get it. And um, even it's been months since they, they've been in the clear and they're still that mental fatigue and physical fatigue. And I don't want that for me. I don't want that for anybody else. And uh, you know what? I don't, I don't mind wearing a mask. It's been really nice having, not having to shave as often as I used to. So, uh, you know, there's, there's some upside to that, I suppose. Um, Not to make light of a situation, but it's, it's uh, yeah. But other than that, uh, yeah, I feel like we've gotten to the groove of, of this a little bit better. You know, I'm, I've hmm. recently, I've moved to Virginia, so it's a little bit different um, as far as the policies are concerned, but 
Yeah, I think it's um yeah, I mean I mean the UK it's been pretty much sort of standard uh really, you know, what what the what the guidelines are. Um sometimes it's been a bit um the messaging's been a bit muddied. But I think at the end of the day, just make your own minds up, you know, what to mm-hmm. to do the sensible thing rather than just waiting for um you know, a government official to tell you what to do. Use your common sense. You know, if you if you don't want to catch it, wear a mask, socially distance, wash your hands. It it's very simple stuff. It's not intrusive into your life. It really isn't. Uh, I know there are a few people out there w- would disagree with that uh, to their, to their, you know, I say their their sort of to their last cough. I would say, but um, sure. yeah, it's um, yeah, it, it's it makes perfect sense to to keep doing what we're doing um, because at the end of the day, it, we'll have to we'll have to live with it um, come the end. We're almost at that point now, but there's still. The, we're not quite at the end of the road yet. There's still quite a way to go with this yeah. uh, this this pandemic. So I think it's just the sensible thing to do is just to keep doing those uh, those things. Like, and I say same as you, um, Drew. I don't go anywhere without my mask now. It's it makes sense. Plus, I've been having a cold. I've had a cold, a common cold for the last you know year because I've just been wearing a mask and washing my hands. It's been it's been fantastic. That's what I was gonna say. Uh, that's another advantage of having these masks is that I, I usually get a cold. At least a couple yeah. of times a year, and I haven't had one in a long time. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's a Doctor Who podcast, but we're we're all more or less Star Trek fans here. We understand that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, right? So, mm-hmm. like, that's yeah. sort of built into our our nerd DNA. You know, indeed. Uh, it's indeed. <laughs> I like that analogy. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <sir. laughs> well, I mean, speaking of uh, speaking of our fandom, let's let's kind of delve a little bit into yours phil we've been working together mm. on a podcast for two years about, about two years now? now i think yeah, yeah. i think yeah uh-huh. i think when I, I think the dwp has been back for about two, roughly two years and, and yeah and while we we kind of did some back and forth a little bit before that um mm. you know you're back in full swing two years i don't think we've ever really discussed your Doctor Who origin story? I don't think we have actually. No, no. So Phil, okay. yes. What is your Doctor Who origin story? <laughs> okay. Um, well, it actually begins in 1973. Actually, um, that's when I got my my first sight of Doctor Who, uh, which was the Green Death, and it was. And I can. I was only about three or four years old at the time but it's one of the very first things I can remember watching on television um it was that and Thunderbirds Jerry Anderson TV show so yeah so that was the that was the the two things I can vividly remember watching when I was a kid um I remember this the uh, the one that's the thing that sticks in my mind um it's when the, the miners in the first episode one of them comes back up glowing green um and that's what I, I that's memory is stuck with me um, all this time, and ever since then, I've been watching Doctor. And obviously, my memories have begun a little hazy after that that one striking, striking image. But I can remember things like Alpha Centauri um, from when I was a kid um, as well. But that would have been, I think, probably more from the the Curse of Peladon. I think which is the Sarah Jane one. Mm-hmm. Was it or the Monster of Peladon? Which which one? Monster, yeah. Monster, thank you. Um, my, my nerddom let me down there, didn't it? So, <laughs> thanks for coming <laughs> my rescue there, Brent. Um, so, um, but the things, I don't remember the Ice Warriors being in there, but I, I can remember Alpha Centauri. Um, I can remember Pertwee regenerating into um, into Tom Baker 
um, in '74. So it was, um, yeah. That that's that was my that was my origin story. But ever since then, I've been absolutely uh, addicted to it. I really have been. Um, and obviously, I, I sort of grew up in the oh, what people now call that the, the, the golden years of Doctor, the, the, the Tom Baker Hinchcliffe um, era, um, which. Okay, that there's probably a few things people would, would take issue with now. That I'm not going to go into the uh, the merits or the, the problems with the talents of Wen Chiang, but it, it's yeah, it's a uh, it's a golden period. So I feel quite lucky to to grow up in that period. Um, and my dad as well. I've got these very very sort of fond memories um, of sort of Saturday mornings. My dad would always get up early on a Saturday morning. You could never get him up on time for work during the week. But when it comes to the weekend, to be up at the crack of dawn, because he didn't want to waste a minute of obviously spare time, so he'd be up before everybody else, and I used to sort of follow him downstairs, and and we'd just be chatting about stuff, and usually with me, it come back, what did you watch on on the on the TV, Dad? You know, when when you were a kid or whatever, and and it come around to things like Doctor Who, and he'd be telling me about Patrick Trout and William Hartnell, and. And that's where I first heard uh, the word chumbly, for argument's sake. So, you know, so <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, he was never, he was never um, a, a fan of Doctor Who or, or sci-fi or anything like that. But he was, a, a, he was this mine of information uh, because back then you, you never saw Hartnell or Troughton on the television. They, they never got repeated, um, mainly because they were white more than anything else. Um, but it was, yeah, I've got such sort of fond memories of that, and it sort of fed into my whole sort of Doctor Who fandom. Um, and I, I wanted to find out more, you know. So, but my favourite has always been John Perk because because he was the first, my first memory of Doctor Who. So he, he's always been my Doctor. Um, I know a lot of people don't particularly like Pertwee because he's quite an uh, an arrogant patronising doctor um which i think is probably got a lot to do with pertwee himself if i'm if i'm perfectly honest but um yeah it it just it just sucked me right in i absolutely that that was it for me i was I absolutely sucked right into it so um there that that's how it all started for me it really was but then of course the the toys i was lucky because that you you had um i think it's dennis fisher uh, did the uh, the Tom Baker doll and the and the um, the Dalek figure and all you know and K nine and all that so so it's not only I, I could watch it when it was on the television I could recreate my favourite episodes or make my own episodes up because I had Tom Baker uh, figure right there so it was uh, yeah brilliant times absolutely brilliant times frequently when we talk to folks from the UK who grew up with it it on the you know like for us in the states. It was on PBS, but they were shown out yeah. of order, and we didn't know what kind of packaging we would get and what we would get. And and I say we, I didn't watch the classic series as a as a kid, but yeah. I listened to what everyone else tells me. But you have been alive while the the show is on the air. Was there a time in your youth where your interest in the show waned and it kind of dipped? Uh, yeah. Some people yes. are like, well, you know, it came to Davison, and I was I was in whatever you, I was fifteen or sixteen years old, and I was starting to. My attention was being pulled other places. Uh, was there a time <laughs> where you you found that like you just didn't watch Doctor Who and then didn't get a chance until the VHS came back out or something? Yeah, yeah, that kind of happened during the Colin Baker era. Um, and 
I've got to say, it's got I didn't to... want to target Colin specifically, no, no. so I said Davison, but no, it, it's not it, an it... uncommon statement. <laughs> well, to, to be fair, it probably wasn't anything to do with Colin Baker um, at all, because I actually think he's a very good doctor. Um, I just don't think he, and he's a good actor as well, I don't think he, he definitely didn't get the scripts at, at all um, during his time. And I think, but thanks to Big Finish... Uh, I think we've now realised what a fantastic Doctor we we could and should have had um, during his time on the show. But it, so it wasn't anything to do with him. It was just because my attentions were going elsewhere. I was about 15, 16 um, when he was the Doctor. Um, I just found other things to do then, like girls. That was it, really. <laughs> I, I was, you know, I was... <laughs> You know, as a teenager, I just found other, other more exciting things to do. Um, and, I, and after that, I just kind of dipped sort of in and out of Who. Um, I mean, I hardly saw anything of the, of the McCoy era um, at all. Uh, I think the I think the, the first time I sort of watched something he he did, I think it was it was that I think it was Paradise Towers, which I didn't much care for. Um, and I just sort of watched an episode. Oh, it's not it's not for me now. It, it just felt silly to be honest uh and then then i watched remembrance of the daleks and i thought wow that doctor's really up their game here you know so i mean you know it's sort of like the the, the effects that the, they seem to be putting a lot on the on the budget now as well um so i thought well well okay it's good but then but then even then i didn't really sort of stick with it i just sort of just sort of drifted away and by the time it it um the final episode aired in 1989 i i never saw it I didn't actually see it until um, I bought the DVD, so that it, it was a long, long time before I saw the, the you know the last episode of what's now termed as the classic era of Doctor Who. So, um, and in the wilderness years, I I just didn't pick up on the on the like the Virgin um, New Adventures books or any of that. Um, what was it? BBV videos, Bill Bags, things like Shakedown, and and yeah, I, I never. I never got into that at all, um, and so I wasn't into Big Finish when it when it when it arrived in 1999. I just I wasn't aware of his of his existence. Uh, it wasn't really until 2005 uh, when I, I sort of you know, the show came back. Then I became aware of things like Big Finish and and the New Adventures, because obviously some, you know um, and writers like Paul Cornell, for argument's sake, and even sort of Mark Gatiss, who I knew from. Uh, League of Gentlemen before I knew about his Doctor Who connections and also his big Finnish connections, as, uh, you know, not just for new adventures, but also for acting in, in audio plays as well. Um, then he also do some of the BBV stuff as well, Mark Gates. I think he acted in some of those director video stories. That sounds familiar, but BBV yeah. is, is really one of the my weaker points as far as Doctor Who history is concerned. I, I got in... So, hmm, so many years back, I was a part of a different podcast mm. and we were at a convention and it was going to be the very first convention that i was at that had a doctor who guest so peter davison was there and we wanted to do something special and uh, mm. the gentleman I, I was doing the podcast with was sort of the doctor who personality of this section of north carolina yeah uh, as far as i knew and as far as the convention knew and so they're like whatever you want to do you're going to interview him but we want to do something you know like show one of his best episodes or something that you think really showcases. So we decided to play the air zone solution. <laughs> now, if you're, if you're a listener and you're laughing right now, you are probably part of a very small contingent of individuals and fans who understand why this is 
maybe not the most traditional of choices. No. So in order to successfully show this and not get in trouble, I I got in touch with uh, uh, Mr. BBB himself and asked permission. Yeah. And he's, like, I think the original response was, seriously? <laughs> uh, <laughs> of course. And so uh, we asked uh, Davison if he would be willing to introduce this. And he's like, no, actually, no, I'll tell you. Okay, I don't, Brent, have I told this story? Have I told the, the story of how we almost killed Peter Davison? I don't think so. No. Oh, my I God. Was, I was there, uh, yeah. but we didn't know each other at the time. Yeah. So five years on this podcast, I've never seen this. So um, I was a part of a Doctor Who podcast called Gallifrey Pirate Radio. Uh, mm-hmm. David Beauchamp was the the my, my co-host for that one, and so we arrive at this convention, the small little convention in uh, Roanoke, Virginia, Mysticon. It is in 2012 or 2013. It would make sense. It was probably 2013. It was in February yeah. of 2013. And um, you know, we uh-huh. arrived, and they're like, "Oh, you know, Peter Davison's. He's he's just here. He's having dinner. Since you're going to be doing the interviews, and you're essentially running the Doctor Who section of this, why don't the two of you come and and talk with him?" And we're like, "We're going to be in a room with Peter Davison. We've never, neither one of us have met him before. We've never met a, a, a guest." And he's sitting there. He's eating. I can remember he's eating a sub sandwich, and we're talking. He's like, "You know." taking a bite and we're having a conversation we're trying to be cool in my head i'm like be cool man be cool man be cool man <laughs> and uh, so he's like you know what kind of special program are you thinking of doing he takes a big bite and davy's like oh we're gonna show the air zone solution and peter davison starts to choke <laughs> like his face goes red and he starts coughing and like davy and i look at each other and we're like we have killed peter davison <laughs> Which one of us gets to do the Heimlich maneuver? Uh, he it cleared up. It's fine. And he's like, Arizona solution. I'm like, yeah. Do you want to introduce? It? He goes, I do not. You know, <laughs> like so. That was that was it. And he basically, I don't think he suggested that we don't talk about it when we do the inter- he David does the interview. But yeah, I think I think his initial reaction. And then having watched it, um, I understand why, uh, folks. If you haven't seen it, go out and see it. Um, it is different. Uh, yes i think it's on youtube yeah that seems yeah. like a, f- a safe place for it and i think i think um, any, any listeners in the uk i think it's on amazon prime in the uk as well it's, it's free to free to watch on there yeah. so yeah i mean if you're a doctor who fan if you've never seen it you you should uh if only for the shower sequence um <laughs> but like all of your favorite doctors are probably you know there in, in one form or another uh yeah yeah, that's that's our tangent for Air Zone Solution, but it, it needed to come out sometime, and there it is. We, there it is. Almost, it's it's all my fault. <laughs> no, but I and I have a lot of those uh, um, audio DVD uh, DVDs CDs, um, where it's the Professor, uh, yes, as opposed to the right. Doctor. And yeah. um, I don't think yeah. I've listened to any of them. I have them. I I got real lucky. I found a at a used bookstore i found a bunch of them and i'm like well i'm never gonna see these again and i picked them all up but for one reason yeah. or another as much as i love audio dramas i just haven't i haven't given them a listen so who knows maybe maybe that's an interesting rabbit hole we can do for the dwp at some point in time in, in i the think future. it might be yeah that that is a deep deep rabbit hole to <laughs> dive down into <laughs> Yeah, no, it's uh, no. As I say, I, I'd never really I, actually. I, I did see some of them for sale in Forbidden Planet um, in um, 
in sort of Soho. And this was sort of back in the, I suppose it would have been sort of like the sort of mid nineties. And they just seemed, it, it sort of got my interest. I thought, oh, this is Sontarans or Altons and, you got these Doctor Who actors here, and oh, this is a continuation. And you sort of you read the back of the the VHS uh, case, and it's oh, no, why? Why? You obviously written then the penny drop. Ah, oh, they haven't got the rights to any of it, so they obviously got rights to some of the monsters, but not the Doctor. So they can't name him or or in any shape or form. And the price of them, they were quite expensive for what for what they were. Um, I know they got recouped their costs somehow, um, but I, I just thought, nah, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll stay away. But now, as you say, thanks to the ones with things like YouTube, it, it's all out there for to see in, in all its, uh, well, should I say glory? I'm, I'm not entirely sure if that's the right <laughs> words. But I mean, glory. I think in the original term of glory means it's sort of like saying something's awesome. It's just bold and mind blowing, and in a way, it it certainly is. Maybe not in. Well, sort of like, yeah. Maybe not the one you were expecting, but uh... <laughs> yeah, that's certainly true. It's uh, well. To be honest, I mean, given their 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 due, really, they were keeping you know they're keeping the flames alive there, really, weren't they? They keep you know, still flying the flag for Doctor Who long after the BBC had had sort of given up on it, really. Yeah. Um, yeah so fair play to them, really. You know, it just it just didn't. Yeah. I just I just completely disconnected with Doctor Who by that point, and then 1996, the TV movie, the Paul McGann movie, um, came along, which is a bit of a mixed bag, if I'm if I'm honest. I think he's great as the Doctor, he really is. Uh, I think there's a few things in there, this whole half human thing, which sounded like, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if you see this the same way. That was just seems what what they did with Spock in Star Trek is to make it connect more with the audience because they can't connect with a totally alien character, uh, which, so that's why they made um, Spock half human. I think they did the same thing with the Doctor as well. Why? I don't know. I really don't know. Considering the guy who sort of wrote it was a big fan of, and directed it as well, was it Jeffrey Sachs? He was a massive fan of Doctor Who. So yeah. I don't know why he chose to go down that route. I don't know, but... Um, I'll I'll just interject because the the TV movie is the first full story of Doctor Who I ever watched. Right? Yeah, and and when I saw that as an American, having only read the comics, the only read the Tom Baker comics, when they said he was half human, I immediately went, "Oh, like Spock." I get that. That makes sense. And so for me, I get yeah. why they did that because it did. If you're going to pitch a, a very classic British show like Doctor Who to an American audience, mm. then that sort of manifestation of, of that kind of characterization made sense to me. Like, I was like, okay, so, you know, in my brain, I'm like, his enemies are going to feel like that human part is a weakness, but we know that it's a strength, you know? And, like, so many stories are going to be him, like, <laughs> you know, check for the doctor's DNA. Well, we're, we're finding some. It's a bit fuzzy. Well, keep looking or, you know, that kind of thing. Or, I'll, you know, it's sort of like the human emotions of Spock will work and, I I liked it, you know. I remember yeah. thinking specifically, like, "Cool, that's that's the that's a way to connect with it." Uh, it's but... interesting to see the, the 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 differences in reaction to it there because I mm -hmm. I think there I mean, you you've probably met or interacted with a lot of old school Doctor Who fans, and they're very very proprietorial about about that show. They really are, and they don't like change. 
they really do not like you. You must not deviate whatsoever from the from, from the one true source um, as as they see it. Um, so yeah, even now they they still. I mean, a female doctor, God forbid, you know. Even now they they still can't get over it. So, you know, some people, but. Um, to be honest, that's what Doctor Who's always been about. Um, it's always been about change and, and renewal and everything. And okay, I know, I know a lot of us sort of think, oh, the half human thing. It didn't really go anywhere after that anyway. So you just sort of, oh, forget it. It, it, it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> you know, it, 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 went, it went nowhere because it didn't get picked up for a series. Um, yeah. Which was, I, I mean, over here, it was a rating success. It, it was, it was a really was a, a big deal. Doctor Who came back on the telly again. Um, but I understand in, in the States it was put up against uh, some big football event or sporting of There was event a sporting event sort. and a, a season finale of Roseanne, which was really a popular show at the time. So yeah. It, it could, and also it was on Fox. And as fans of genre television, we know that Fox just does that kind of show dirty. Uh, you know, we're yeah. still we're real salty about Firefly over yes. here uh, yes. and and rightfully so and that that's just sort of fox's mo it's like ooh this this could make us a lot of money and create tons and tons of fans how can we ruin it for them <laughs> <laughs> the uh, roseanne show was uh, dan had a heart attack on there john goodman mm-hmm. And that I think that's why that's what pulled most of the audience because everybody was like, "What?" and uh, wanted to see that rather than something they probably never seen before. Yeah, exactly. As you say, because it goes what you said earlier. Because every I I think during the the fiftieth anniversary of, of of Doctor Who, I interviewed loads of different podcasts about how they got into Doctor Who and, and and so on and so on. So a lot of like American guests or Canadian guests that I had on there, um, they all said PBS. Each and every one of them said that's how they got into Doctor Who, and it is—it's quite niche, really, you know. Because I think, because you said it was all shown out of order um, over there, and it was didn't you? It was, is it sort of survival sort of pledge drives as well? If you if you want to if you want to continue seeing Doctor Who, then pledge keep you know keep donating the money and all that kind of thing. Um, but over here, even though Doctor Who it was prime time Saturday night television, um, certainly in the nineteen seventies, that's when it was sort of really at its peak, but. Nobody really spoke about it. it. It's not like it is now. Um, it, it's saying sort of like oh, it, it, hushed tones. I like Doctor Who. It was it was sort of, and then I like it too. And it, it was like that. It was everyone just whispered it to one. You wouldn't. You dare not speak its name in public. It was like the Voldemort of television. You dare not speak <laughs> its name. You know. Um, but now I think it's great. Everyone just yeah, I'm a fan. I love it. And you know, you see all the. Um, people attending conventions and, and, and things like that and getting now the cosplay and everything. Um, do you know what? I think the first time I saw any Doctor Who cosplay, it made the news over here. There was a Doctor Who convention in the States somewhere and there was a guy dressed up as John Pertwee. He had, he had the, the red velvet smoking jacket, the frilly shirt, the bow tie and he had this white wig on which it looked like white nylon, this thing. It wasn't authentic by any stretch of the imagination. But it always went as far as ha- having stick on white eyebrows as well. I'll never forget it. Never, ever forget that. But um, I said, wow, these, these people are just sort of like getting dressed up as the doctor. Why don't we do that over here? Nobody, it, but obviously, I, I don't know if it did go on or not. We have things that like the Doctor Who Appreciation Society, they used to do their own little meetups and everything, which I think are held in church halls to begin with. Um, the whole thing about swapping the tapes 
um, as well. Because back then you just didn't, if you thought an episode was gone forever, it was, it was, that was it. This days before VHS, you could buy on the shelf. You, you recorded stuff off the telly. That, that was it. Um, but then you people exchanging copies of, I don't know, um, the invasion or what was left of the invasion uh, from, from, from 1968. So it was, um, but those copies were so bad because they were copies of copies of copies of copies. And, <laughs> you know, you were squinting your eyes just to try and, you know, try and see exactly what was on the on on the picture but, but people spent an absolute fortune on it and it was it was real indiana jones stuff it's like searching for the holy grail it, you know it really was but um i suppose but i just wasn't i wasn't really involved in that kind of plus the fact i didn't have the money to spend on ropey looking vhs copies of sure. the invasion or whatever it might be you know i will say that the romantic in me finds the whole concept of the video, the VHS exchange to be, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that when I discovered Doctor Who, everything, almost everything was out on DVD. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. you know, like I would say 75% of what was available, like, no, I'm not including the lost episodes, but like at least 75% of the episodes were on DVD by the time I started the pilgrimage. Yeah. And so I have never watched the, the entirety of Doctor Who from start to finish, clearly none of us have, no. but, um, you know, what, what was made available would be sort of like, I'd watch all of Pertwee and I'd be halfway through Baker and they would, Ooh, they just released another Pertwee. And I'd go back and I'd watch that before I moved forward. Yeah. But the idea of just kind of the excitement of knowing that you're going to see an episode for the first time, but you have to like travel two hours to a city yeah. and exchange a tape with somebody else or send it to another country to get another one back as frustrating as that's got to be, it also must be exhilarating. There's, I'm a collector, and I like. It's almost like the, the act of collecting is more important than the collection itself. Yeah. And that every time someone, an older fan, tells me about these stories, I get this kind of wistful wish. You know, I wish I could have been, been a part of that because it sounds so cool. You know, like like yeah, it's like it, making it, zines at, on on uh, um, copy machines, sort of a sort of a old school now it's just really there's a real romantic side to that yeah it, it was real sort of underground stuff it really was i mean i think that's what um i think i don't know that's why some some of sort of like the older fans get a little bit annoyed about fandom now because back then it, it was underground nobody um it was fairly sort of close-knit community um and that's been open up you know, it's wide open for for everybody to um, to sort of get involved with now, um, but because of things you know like podcasts and social media and and you know and, and things like that. But back then, I think it's because it was sort of they spoke with people uh, had like you know like minds. You know, it, it it was it was theirs, and they you know, and it was it was the thrill of the as you say it was the thrill of the chase of hunting down and meeting someone in in a you know in a in a <laughs> an old house in the middle of nowhere to to swap a vhs tape or whatever you know it was um yeah it, it does as you say it's quite a romantic um side to it actually it does sound sort of quite sort of quite adventurous to to go and do that catching a train to the middle of nowhere to come and, and exchange you know a hundred pounds for a vhs tape which you might not be able to because you just swapped it you just handed over the money you got your tape you got it back home it couldn't it might not be watchable 
Right, but that was that was the whole part of it. I think it it was the the thrill and the excitement of whether your little hunt had actually sort of paid off, really. And uh, oh, fair, you know, good on them, really. It, but again, it's that whole underground thing that sort of it. That's what kept Doctor Who going through all those wilderness years. It, it, it's because of those fans, really. Um, and those fans, as we know, it's the likes of Russell T Davis, Stephen Moffat, Chibnall. You know, they were sort of there. They were sort of keeping it going. It was it was always there. Um, and, you know, thanks to them, it's now massively popular again. So um, I know they just always say, never let fans run a TV show because, well, <laughs> they have. That's the thing. They have. And that sounds exactly with Doctor Who. So, Well, fans have also taken over the, the podcast airwaves like you. You got a couple of shows. How did you get into podcasting? Um, I, <laughs> I think I, I jumped on the bandwagon like everybody else did back, <laughs> back in the day. Um, t- to be honest, I, I think it really, it really come from like listening to like Radio Free Scarrow, I think, because, um, when they, when they started everything, Doctor Who, it was, it was really popular then. Um, it's, it has certainly tailed off a little bit in the UK. I personally feel anyway, but back then it was huge. It was absolutely huge. Um, and then after listening to them, we thought, oh, let's do a podcast, but we, we didn't actually want to do a Doctor Who podcast. Um, we wanted to, the first idea we had was to do, um, like a news podcast where the three of, it originally was going to be three of us. Um, and we'd each pick an item of news from during the, the previous week or whatever week we were recording. I can't remember what the actual remit was now, but the other two wouldn't know what you were going to discuss. So it was, it was, it was going to be sort of, I thought it could have been quite interesting, but then we sort of thought about that and we, we had this, um, thing about the old, um, that there was a, a production company and, and you might be familiar, ITC, which mm-hmm. Lou Grades, yeah, you heard of them. So he was the guy responsible for Thunderbirds and Space 1999, mm-hmm. but he had all these other shows, um, in the 1960s, things like, you know, um, um, the champions, the Baron, man in a suitcase, random hot Kirk deceased. All those shows, and they repeated quite often um, on a a channel over here called ITV4, and actually they're still repeated to this day um, on on that channel. But we thought, well, let's do uh, let's do a podcast around those. We'll pick an episode of whatever it might be that week, and then we'll, we'll all watch it, and then get together the following week and, and record our, our discussion. And I think we were going to be called the ITV43. Was the, was was the original name of the podcast, but then I think Paul and I, who's who's now my my sort of co-host on on the Who's He podcast, uh, we watched this episode. Tony he forgot, so we thought <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna have a problem here trying to get him to do this, you know, get him on on schedule here. So then then we just abandoned the idea. We thought, oh, why not? Let's just do a Doctor Who podcast, and it was meant to be just to be once a month doing an audio commentary. And and that was and that's how we started. That that was back in two thousand eleven. So we're going over over ten years now. That was mm. March two thousand eleven. Was our first first release, um, and it was an audio commentary for uh, uh, Pyramids of Mars. Um, and I, I, the funny thing is, I listened back to it not so long ago, uh, and yeah, it's not good. <laughs> 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 we really didn't have a clue what we were doing. Th- things like you know, like doing the news and or just maybe a little bit of a. a, a a preamble 
sort of chat before we got into things. We just didn't. It was. It literally was. We 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 put the microphones down, press record. Let's see what happens. And I didn't want to be the main voice of the podcast at all. And it just no. You do it for you do it for. Okay, so. And I, I really didn't have a clue what I was doing, but we just thought we'll just put it out. We should have re-recorded it, if I'm honest. But I think the whole thing was it was getting us all together in the same room um, to, to to watch Doctor Who and record our commentary. That that was the that was the biggest challenge is getting us all together. Um, so yeah, but after that, um, it, it just naturally progressed into like a um, a weekly. It was a weekly show um, at one point. Um, and I think I think when we had, I think when Torch of Miracle Day was on telly, Morris at the same time as Doctor Who, we were doing two podcasts a week, and that was a lot of work. If I'm, if I was, particularly I didn't enjoy Torch of Miracle Day because it was a real slog to get through. It, yeah. it really was. Because uh, then you had, you had Children of Earth, which was amazing television. It really was. It it really did blow my mind. Um, and they followed up with, and I was expecting more of the same with Miracle Day. And I thought, no, nah, this, it, it was a, practically it was a five episode serial spread over 10 parts. It, it really was stretched thin. It really was. Um, so, yes, yeah, so that was a slog to get through. Uh, but now we, we sort of, we're back to doing monthly podcasts again because um, Doctor Who's not on the telly that much anymore uh, <laughs> i know as i know as we record um we, we've got the new series about to start in a week's time um so we'll, we'll be back to recording weekly again we've also got to do something on the dwp as well to uh, <laughs> to try and get our schedules together for, to record our reviews as well so it's yes yeah, so it's going to be a, a a busy time again but um yeah I, I didn't honestly think i'd still be doing podcasting 10 years later I, I really didn't. I thought it'd be a couple of years and then then that would be it. Um, but I, I just enjoy doing it, really. And I've, and I've met some amazing people through it as well. People like, you know, you, you know, people like yourself. And, and, I, and I've interviewed people I'd never dreamed I would interview. Philip Hinchcliffe, for, for argument's sake. I mean, he's my hero. And, and I've got to interview him, um, which is probably the most scariest things I've ever done in my entire life. <laughs> it, it really was. He's a very, very... Um, very serious chap. He re- he re- he really is. Um, but once you get him talking, I know he's probably heard the same questions over and over again. But he, he's very very happy to just keep answering those same questions. But the um, but the one thing I kicked off with was I I I quickly I, it was dropped on me that day. I went to it was a Hooverville convention which it held in Derby in North of England, and I've never I've interviewed someone on Skype before. I've interviewed Dominic Glynn um, previously. That was done over Skype. But this was sitting in the same room, face-to-face, with Philip Hinchcliffe. And later on that day, I also interviewed um, Wendy Pabry um, and also Michael Pickwold as well, um, which I, I wish I had more time with. I really did, because he was... And unfortunately, he's you know no longer with us. Um, but what what an amazing, interesting man to talk to. Um, he really was. But anyway... Um, it was dropped on me literally half an hour before I was I was due to interview Philip Hinchcliffe. It was because there was a they have like a podcasting room there. So all the guests, it's one of the few. I think it's the only convention I know in the UK that does this. Um, they have a podcasting room. So all the guests for that day, they do their bit on on the stage, um, or and and they go down and, and do an interview with, with a, a podcast or a number of podcasters, or you interview them first before they go on stage, which is a, and I think I interviewed. Philip Hinchcliffe before he went on stage that day. So 
I got the first bite of the cherry, which was which was which was fantastic. Um, but as I say, I had half an hour's notice, and I oh my god, and I've never been so nervous in all my life. But um, but I think I had about forty five minute interview with him in the end, and we I started and I quit. Had to what, what's he done other than Doctor Who? I don't know him for that really. And I realised he used to write scripts for it was an old soap in the UK, which Terence Dix started on and so did Wendy Pabry actually Crossroads um and it's got a, a very very it's got a bad reputation as if you think about they put say oh the wobbly sets in Doctor Who uh well no Crossroads did have wobbly sets they also didn't do second takes either if somebody fluffed the line they just carried on I mean I mean to be honest you you've got to be a certain breed of actor to to, to, to do that you really just to carry on regardless um but that, that's where Philip Hinchcliffe started, really, with the you know, crossroads and everything. So we started to talk about that before we started talking about Doctor Who. So it was quite, um, I think he was generally surprised to be asked about that rather than the usual Who stuff, really. So I was, I was quite proud of the fact I sort of I caught him on the, I got him on the back foot a little bit there. But uh, once he gets into Who, though, it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, I was, it's one of my proudest moments. It really was. It really was. So, yeah, it's a whole podcasting thing. Um, yeah, it, it's been a, it's been a hell of a ride. It really has been. I've been podcasting for just under 10 years and yeah, you know, I, like I said, meeting Peter Davison was such a weird thing because I was at the, be- at the beginning of my joining fandom at that time. I liked Dr. Who. I was a fan of Dr. Who, but I wasn't in Dr. Who fandom up, up until yeah. the time I started the, the podcast. And then I started, to not just watch the show and enjoy it, but also start to go back into its history and read more and learn about it and kind of do the things that I think, you know, again, there's yeah. no one way of being a fan, but that's how I, I'm a fan is, is by learning information. And then when you get these opportunities to interview these people who are part of something that you love, mm. the important thing that I learned real quick is that they've done other stuff. Yeah. And what they have done lots of is answer the same five questions about this role on that one part they did for one year on a show that was one of 30 shows that they've done. Yeah. And they're happy to do it. They're, I've never met a guest who was rude to fans or, you know, was, was short to anybody. No. But let me tell you something. You want a good, lively conversation. Talk to them about anything else but the reason that they're at that convention. And it doesn't yeah. work at panels always because people are here to hear those stories. Not everyone who's in the audience is, has you know heard that that same story about how so-and-so met so-and-so and filmed that yeah. thing and how their costume had a problem and whatnot. But uh, you know, if you have a 10-minute interview, not 45 minutes with Philip Hitchcliffe, which is I'm just – I'm drooling at the thought <laughs> of that. But you know, if I have only 10 minutes with a guest – I want to ask them something that they haven't asked and I, I'll try to do research into their, their past. And like, you'll yeah. ask the question and like, it'll take them this moment to realize that they haven't been asked a question about Dr. Who. They can't just go back into their memory and, and do that rote answer that they answer every single time. And you yeah. get these really good conversations, which unfortunately are almost always too short. You know, we don't have time, but I've heard some really nuts stories. Uh, but the beautiful thing too, is you realize that these are just people. Actors yeah, are people, exactly. you know, they're doing a yeah. job and it's not, it doesn't make it any less important to us as fans that they've done that job. They love the show just as much as we do sometimes. 
Yeah. But they are just people. And it, like once your nervousness uh, kind of goes away, I mean, Brent and I, we got to go to William Russell's hotel room and sit down and talk with him for 45 minutes. Wow. And I think both of us were like white knuckled, freaked out that, <laughs> that this was an opportunity that we got to do. And he's just chatting away. And it's like, we weren't talking about Dr. Who. We talked about Lance a lot. And, um, you know, by the end of that, it was like, this is like talking to a friend. This is yeah. really cool. And I think, I think, you know, anybody who's listening to this, who ever gets a chance to do this interview, relax their people. They want to be doing this, but also, you know, think about it. Go and watch a couple hours of interviews with them on YouTube and find something that yeah, they haven't exactly. been asked before. Exactly. Yeah. Learn, ask them a personal story, but not too personal. You know, something <laughs> like they haven't probably talked about before. So, well, I, th- I think this has always been my sort of my approach when I have done it because I, I, I've never got a set list of questions at all um, mm-hmm. when I've interviewed any anyone. Um, whether whether it's because I've been Usually, when I've got someone lined up for an interview, I've, I've, it's been arranged in advance, or it's taken a few mm-hmm. exchanges to, okay, let's get a date and so on and so on. Um, but I never said, okay, I'm going to ask them this, I'm going to ask them that. I just try and keep it like a a, a, a natural conversation as best I can. And okay, maybe keep a, a couple of um, questions in, in the tank if it starts to sort of go a bit quiet or. or you know, for whatever reason. So it's, um, but it's been, it's been successful for me so far. So um, it's, um, yes, I think I'll, I'll sort of keep, keep to it really. But um, yeah, it's, but that's the, that, that's the thing. That's what I like about things like the Hooverville convention and also like um, Gallifrey one convention as well, because you, you get to mix and mingle um, with, with the stars, of the show or, or the, the people who helped to create the show. Whatever, but the we I went to the first um, Doc Two convention that the BBC put on, and this would have been back in twenty twelve, I think it was, I think twenty eleven, twenty twelve. I can't remember exactly when when it was now uh, in Cardiff, and the tagline for that was, you know, "No one gets you closer." Well, it's when nobody could keep you further at arm's length. That that's because when you you had the daily you had panels there. So you had like Moffat and Matt Smith and Karen Gill and Arthur Darville. And, and yeah, I think Michael Pickwoke was there again as well. Um, and it was in the, um, the Millennium Center where they do a lot of the filming um, for, 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 for Doctor Who. And, um, but anytime they walked through the crowds, they had security all around them. And they're basically just being marshaled from one room to the other. There was no mixing with, with fans, there was no sort of like, I mean, Gallifrey one, you, you can stand at the bar next to Sylvester McCoy, you know, and no one bats an eyelid. You know, nobody cares. They're just there for the convention. Um, but the BBC had them all wrapped up in cotton wool. And this whole thing that nobody gets you closer was utter nonsense. It really was. Um, and it was very expensive. It was £120 for the ticket, for the, for, you know, for the day. And it's not an all-day thing either. And that didn't include, I mean, I travelled up from London to Cardiff, so um, we, we stayed overnight, so it was the train journey, so the train tickets, your hotel, plus the cost of the convention as well. It was quite an expensive weekend away. It re- I, I, I'm not going to say I don't regret it, but, um, because I don't. It, it's, um, I'm sorry, I, I regret it because I don't, um, because it was a really, really fun weekend. Um, 
And that's our first time I met James. I thought, well, second time I met James actually uh, from from the DWP. Uh, sort of, uh, yeah, we met there. The first time James and I met, that was a yeah. We, we met on uh, doing a. It was a lot, sort of like a. It was a, a video podcast at the time. Uh, that's that's where we first. We never met before at all, so we, we just struck up a friendship uh, from, from that point onwards, really. So that was uh, yeah. So we've we done some. Interesting things, really have, really have. But uh, yeah, but that's. Um, I don't know whether when, when I'll get back to uh, go to free one again. I really don't. But uh, well, certainly not at the moment because of the whole COVID thing. But um, maybe one day, maybe one day. But there's loads of others in the states as well, though, which are quite big, um, big news. Was it was it Long Island? Who and you got Chicago? Uh, was it Chicago Tardis? Is that what it's mm-hmm. called? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So those um, are still going. We're we're getting both of those this year. Oh, fantastic! I'll be going to Long Island in November. Oh, my brilliant. first my first convention in in two years. Yeah, I I so I haven't been for a couple. So the last one I went to was was Hooverville. Um, that's that was pre pre pandemic. Um, but there wasn't. A, I must admit, I, I thought it was quite a low a low turnout. Um, that year, and I don't know if it's because of the the guests or people. As I said, as I said, the interest is waning somewhat in in the UK. I don't know. I really don't, don't know what it was, but uh, but it's always worth going. It's always worth going. There's always some good um, some good panels and um, some very interesting personalities there. Um, I, I won't <laughs> I won't say any more than than that. Actually, there, there was one there was one guest there um, who was yeah. I gotta put it. it his his panel was quite um, interesting, for want of a better description. Um, and is this a, end, you said this is a guest? This is a guest, yes. Mm-hmm. This is a From guest. One of your favourite errors of Doctor Who? Yes, it is. It is. No, I don't think we need to, to no. say any more than that. I think we're all no. pretty pretty sure who we're talking about here. <laughs> yes, yes. And um, and, the, and the, the, the ends, where the, the guy who runs it, um, he gets up on the stage, says, oh, thanks everybody for coming. It's been a brilliant convention. All the guests have been fantastic, apart from one. <laughs> the, yes. <laughs> Wow. Well, if you get a, a, a convention r- runner uh, mentioning that, then you're probably not getting an invite the next year. <laughs> How is my uh, aged pee? Be able to get up soon, will it? Um, no, I'm afraid not. Oh, how long do you think then? Well, it's difficult to say, but he might be in bed for some considerable time. What? All day? <laughs> you know, and part of that experience is is what makes fandom fandom, right? Like, yeah. I know who you're talking about. I have not been at a, a convention with that particular <laughs> guest, but I know exactly who you're talking about. I've heard the stories, and that's, again, yeah. what sort of makes fandom fandom. And here's the exactly. thing, too, about fandom. You know, we're all Doctor Who fans, but we're not... We know that Doctor Who is not the end-all and be-all of our fandom. So no, exactly. I'm, I'm going to change gears just slightly here. Um, because oh, yeah. whenever we have a guest onto the podcast, it is a Doctor Who podcast. We we invited you here because you're a Doctor Who fan. But we know that there are other shows that you love. So, mm-hmm. Phil, what other television, non-Doctor Who television show have you brought for us? And why did you select it? Right. Okay. Well, the other show I, I bought for you is Steptoe and Son. Um, which is a, a classic BBC comedy um, from the 1960s and, and very, very early 1970s. And and again, it's one of those things I had sort of distant memories of watching 
um, w w when I was a child. And I say in the advent of VHSs and DVDs, and it did get repeated on television. That's certainly a lot more than than, than Doctor Who ever did. Um, and I just got hooked into these two characters who. Obviously, sort of, it's it's. Um, I think it was remade in the states of Sanford and Son. Mm -hmm. I believe that was the yeah. That was that was the US in the remake. States, it was Sanford yeah. and Son, but it's but it the US is not the only country to get their own versions. I think no. Wikipedia lists like seven different countries where this show has they've done their own version of it. Exactly. Well, give um, us an but, elevator pitch of what the show is actually about. Yeah, so basically, it's about two rag and bone men. Um, it's a father and son business partnership. So you've got um, Steptoe. Uh, senior, which is Albert Steptoe, played by Wilfred Bramble. Um, and you have Harold Steptoe, who's the son, played by Harry H. Corbett. Um, and if anyone wants to know why he's called Harry H. Corbett, um, because there was a Harry Corbett, who was the creator of the Sooty Show, which was a, a, a kid's show, the puppet, Sooty the Puppet, Sooty and Sweep. Um, so um, he was famous before, so he put the H in his name. That That's where it comes from. So, um, but anyway, so it was, and it's a real love-hate relationship between them um and the father albert he's a devious old so-and-so anytime that harold wants to better himself or get married for he will feign illness and he's a evil old man he really is but the whole point is they can't live without each other the whole thing when when his father is ill for argument's sake harold's the first to drop everything and go to see how his father is. He will panic if anything does actually happen to him. But he also gets suckered into it. <laughs> a lot of his ruses all the time as well. Um, so, but it's, for its day, as a situation comedy, it had a lot of sort of social realism because the characters are poor, which you just didn't see on British television in those, in those days either. Um, everything was sort of the, the, the happy home, you know, the, you know, the 2.4 children, and everyone's, oh, hello, darling. Are you tired, darling? Yes, I am, darling. And it's, oh, here's, here's a nice drink for you. Here's your slippers and your pipe and, and whatever. Um, but this was, these two were, were, were poor. They didn't particularly like each other, really, but they relied on each other all the time as well. Um, and most episodes were just them. You know, they didn't really leave, a lot of the time, they didn't leave the confines of that, Rag and Boneyard, or of their of their living room, um, so it was it was quite unique for its for its time, and it was written by Gorton and Simpson. Um, now they really come from a radio comedy background, and in the fifties, nineteen fifties in, in Britain, radio comedy was god. You had Hancock's Half Hour, uh, featuring Tony Hancock, which was Gorton Simpson's. That was their big you know, their their big break, and you had things like The Goon Show which is another favourite of mine as well, really is, yeah. Because um, I grew up watching Spike Milligan on television. I found about the, about the Goon Show. So that's what I think, like, people who don't know what the Goon Show is, that's where Peter Sellers got his big break. That's where he came to, a, you know, public attention. Um, so so radio comedy in the 1950s in, in, in the UK was, was everything. And television, it was scoffed at. It, it really was. But then... It became more popular because the BBC really did look down their nose at things that ITV television would look with their light entertainment shows. Um, so it, it was a really interesting time. But then obviously radio started to f sort of fade away and television took off. And Gordon Simpson 
sort of went with it. And they did this, um, it's basically, it's almost like a series of six pilots that they that they did. And when they wrote the one for Steptoe and Son, which was called The Offer, as it was originally called, uh, and it was it was Harold getting away from his father. He, he received an offer to get away. And basically, he couldn't. He tried to move his belongings out on the rag and bone cart, but the, the, the old dad's, you're not having the horse. So the cart's yours, you can't have the horse. So he tried to move out of the rag and bone yard on his own and then was crying when he did so. And it's because they didn't cast comedic act or, or comedians in the role, which they usually did for, for, for comedy shows back there. They cast two serious actors. And the reason they did that is that they won't then be looking for the laugh. They'll just they'll just act it out as if it was a, a, a play, really. Um, and Harry H. Corbett, he was sort of getting a bit of a name for himself in theatre before he did Steptoe because he was um, he was part of the like, the method acting school. Mm. And for a while they were saying that he's like the UK's answer to Marlon Brando. That's what they were. He was really was. And I've seen him in a couple of things before. We played um, a serial killer. And it's an, an old night, the black and white movie, and he is really creepy in it. It's never, mm. Couldn't be, it's so far removed from what he did in Steptoe. Um, but he got this, and and Wilfred Bramble, um, again, he was more known as sort of like a theatre actor, and he's nothing like what you see him as, as, as Albert Steptoe, which is this grotty, dirty little man with bad dentures and and, and everything. He's a very very dapper. Man, very well dressed, well presented. Um, he's also from Irish descent as well. He didn't have that "God blimey" ac- Cockney accent. He's very, very. Um, he he kind of lost his Irish accent. He was sort of like very um, sort of clipped English tones. But I think that's what people did. They lost their regional accent to get on television because that's what everybody spoke like on television. It was "Hello, darling." It was all very, very much like that. So to see Steptoe, it was too. Rag and Bowman from Shepherd's Bush, which is, like, which is West London. Um, it was really, really strange to see that on television. Even when they... Because it went from 1962 is when, the, when it first aired, and it actually finished in 1965. Then it came back in 1970 in colour. Um, and even in 1970, you still didn't see anything like that on television. It was still very much was the... You know the the house in suburbia that you know that that kind of situation comedy. So um, and that's what I I don't remember the obviously I don't remember the black and white ones because I wasn't born then but I remember the colour ones that's that's what I can remember what, and what, that's what was repeated on television a lot. So um, so I I recommended three episodes for for you two to watch, um, <laughs> which are three three of my favourite episodes because um, I think it. it, it it highlights their relationship. It also highlights sort of sit, that that the situation they were trying to move away from as well. And um, and I think the one that sticks in mind is is um, a, a death in the family, which is when the horse dies. And this is that's what's that was the opening episode when the show came back in 1970. That was the first episode. Um, and and again, it's that whole. Um, it highlights their relationship. Even when they're grieving for the horse, they can't stop bickering and arguing amongst themselves and blaming each other for, for the horse dying, for argument. So it's, um, as I say, that that has that real love-hate relationship. Um, and I think the, the upstairs-downstairs one, when Albert's up in bed with his bad back 
again just shows what a devious old man <laughs> he is when he when he's back gets better and he carries it on. He carries on being bedridden because he's got he's got Harold running up and down the stairs to his every beck and call. Um, and I think the the other oh what a beautiful morning. I I, I just love it because it shows what a what a rotten family the Steptoe family is. They're all stabbing each other in the back. And this whole thing of the share out after the funeral was well, who gets what? And even before the old, you know, they've, they've buried Albert's brother, George, they're all fighting over bits and pieces in his, in his, in his house, you know, and it's, um, that's quite broad situation. But again, nobody showed that, that whole thing. If anyone died, a character died on television, it's always very respectful or a funeral was done with respect. This was almost like farce. They're all racing back to the house after the funeral. So they're racing each other to get back to get the share out. Um, I have to say, of the, of the three that we saw, that was my favorite. And and the best line, the best line is where they're standing there and everybody's putting their beers on top of the coffin. This is a very significant occasion today. Oh, yeah, why is that then? It's the first bleeding drink I've ever had on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the, 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 the repeating joke in that episode where everyone's like, well, the only thing that's worth anything is that statue, you know, 18th century, you know. Uh, yeah. They're all, they're all very aware of that. He's, put your hat on it. Put your hat on it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I, th- I think it's like, but that, that episode is full of um, sort of British character actors that you, you obviously are long gone now, but you used to see on television all the time. Um, it's like George A. Cooper. For argument, so the guy, the, the 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 brother who arranged all the funeral, right? Um, yes, yeah. So obviously he's been in Doctor Who. He was in the Smugglers, but he's been in so many British TV series over the years. Um, and to see him pop up in that, you had Molly Sugden was mm-hmm. in that as well. Obviously, better known from Are You Being Served, Mrs. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Slocum in that. Um, oh God, there's the I can't remember the, the guy Sydney something or other, the the drunk. Brother, who's sitting there, right. who, who got who got who, who got converted to Christianity from from Billy Graham and everything. Um, yeah, that was, was. I was not expecting Billy Graham to be mentioned no. on Steptoe and Son. That <laughs> yeah. that yeah. hit home real quick, and I was just kind of like, whoa. Now, now did, did you get the reference when Billy he, he got up on stage and he, he poured out all these problems to, to the audience and Billy Graham turned and said, take courage, son, take courage. He's been bleeding drinking it ever since. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you get the reference? Because it's that whole thing. Courage was a big brewery in the UK at the time. So that, that's that's well, we, where it comes from. So We'll frequently, well, frequently, there's a lot of references <laughs> to alcohol being called liquid courage. Yeah, uh, yeah, and so while while I didn't recognize it being a an actual proper courage with a C, I assumed yeah. they were talking about alcohol. Uh, in, yeah, in that oh, sense. It, de- it definitely was. It definitely was alcohol. Yeah, so you, you can yeah, see it yeah. either way. But the thing is, um, even sort of now, I think if if someone if my, when my kids are old enough, I'll sit them down to watch Steptoe and Son. I'd, I'd I'd have to explain all those things to them to again because the past really is a, a foreign country. They won't understand that reference. And I think it, it really is, if you're of that, you grew up in that period, you'd understand it. And I think a lot of the time you end up having to explain what that line meant or sure. who, who that actor is or, you know, because to me, it's sort of, I'm saying these wonderful actors I sort of grew up watching. Um, and they really were sort of, because they, that term character actors, I think it really does apply to them because they always seem to, 
being those sort of those sort of comedies, um, playing like an East you know, East Ender or or, um, or an, an old uh, Rag and Bone Pete, you know, they they just mm-hmm. had that that face and that voice, and but um, yeah, I I just absolutely adore that particular episode. But the the one with the Hallsties um, is one of my all time favourites. Um, it's just it's just the 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 lines they're arguing about the what's going to happen to the horse. <laughs> and he's he's goading Harold. All he's goading him. Always, you know what's going to happen to him. Yes, you do. Cats me. And he has his long sort of diatribe about what's going to happen to the horse. Um, and then we get the commercial, of course. The commercial, of course, as well. But it's that thing about um, <laughs> what he said about when 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 Albert dies. Don't you worry. Like, I won't bother. They could fit all of you into one tin like that. And it's such a cutting line about. I'm just going to bung you in. They wouldn't bother put you into a cat's meat tin, mate. There's not enough of you. Right. And it, yeah, that that's what he's saying. But, um, but even that, that bit where he, he's, he's got that little shrine set up to the horse as when he's kneeling down in front of it. And then, and again, it descends into an argument um, about you, like you, you don't need me anymore. And, and again, it's one of, it's one of Albert's ploys to make Harold feel guilty. And, a lot of the time, that's what he does all the way through. He'll do something to make Harold feel guilty, and it usually works. Right. Yeah. And you never see, and you never see him escape. And there's been episodes where he has escaped, mm-hmm. and he's had to, and his dad has then had to go and he'll follow him around everywhere. He's 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 terrible. He'll follow him everywhere he goes. Um, but then he sees he's struggling, and he's got no money, and he has to go to the rescue. <laughs> again and Harold's so proud he's too proud to accept it and he'll go back making it as his decision to go back again <laughs> and you know un, un, under under his, his father's wing as it were but um yeah it's um it really was of its time and I don't think you could ever make you can say that with a lot of things now but I really don't think you can make something like that now because hey, who's ever heard of a rag and bone man it's something I can remember when I was very, very little. I can remember one used to come past our house and I sat on, as they call it, sat on the plank next to him when he pulled up one day. So um, that's another little strange little child of memory. But maybe that's why it's resonated with me because I did sit on the plank of, of our Rag and Bowman's um, horse and cart. So, so uh, my father yeah. used to have a shop and he would go yard sailing where he would go to people's yards and and. And rather than dig through their garbage, he would buy the yeah. stuff from them. Yeah. And he had a shop called Mad Myers Thrift Emporium. And, right. Uh, and I would go with him yard selling. And so I'm watching Steptoe and Son going, this is this is my dad and me if we were not as vicious towards one another. And it would be like, <laughs> sort of like, you know, he would be, hey, uh, hey Drew, they, there's, they've got a bunch of comic books, but they're asking X for it. Is that worth it? And I'm like, yeah, you've got a couple episodes, you know, issues in there that you might be able to sell, but for the most part, it's probably not worth it. I'll yeah. buy them and I'll keep them for my own collection, but you don't probably need, you know, like that sort of a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so like, it kind of hit home. I was like going, well, this is, I'll, I'll take a look at this. They're vicious though. I mean, oh, I was yeah. not expecting yeah. the level of nastiness or the language, uh, you know, for, for the early... 60s i wasn't expecting um references to anyone's testicles um you know, he's, he's, he, he, he gets uh, he gets the alcohol in his ghoulies and i was like wasn't yeah. expecting that there's well, the- discussions of sex in movies uh, i'm curious yellow i wasn't like it's like that's you know he's a dirty old man and and uh, oh the, he is 
I feel totally. like they were broaching subjects I wasn't expecting to see on a I don't know if you want to call it a comedy or a dramedy. Uh, it, it, it at least the three episodes that you presented us, which are the only three that I've watched so far, yeah, are fairly heavy with bits of comedy in them because they all involve death uh, and the yeah. loss of each other. And I, you know, it, there maybe there are other episodes that are not like that, but you know, upstairs, downstairs, upstairs, downstairs is essentially like one of you's dying, and there's a lot of discussion of what I would do without you and what could I possibly do. Well, like really seriously p- pouring their heart yeah. out. Um, yeah, and of course, yeah, the the. <laughs> a death in the family. I having I saw it was the second one I watched. I kept on expecting um, Senior Steptoe to just be messing with Harold. And I thought maybe Harold had been racing the horse. We did see that off screen, and 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 uh, his dad was just trying to coax him into admitting that was happening. So I wasn't sure where the motivation was coming from for just the yeah. relentless. Like it felt like he was going over the top. Where I loved that horse like a son. Uh, you, of course you did. You loved him more than I did. You know, it's like. I'd only watched one other episode. The horse wasn't even mentioned. You know, it's just an opening credit. So I was like, is this a thing that I'm really missing? Is there just, is there four seasons of Hercules really being the third cast member of this? Uh, so yeah, but it's, it was interesting. Yeah, it's, um, I think that there is a marked difference between the 1960s ver- uh, series um, and the 1970s one, because obviously the, the 1970s one, there are a lot more cruder as you said, 1962 to 1965, they would never have said the word ghoulies on British television. <laughs> Certainly not. Um, so, yeah, so there is a marked difference in what they could get away with. Um, but I think that's I don't, that's probably because of the attitudes of the time. I think that's probably the same with, with, with any TV show, I, I would say, um, you know, if it, between the 60s and 70s as you see them sort of roll on, that they can get away with more, that they, they are like two completely different shows. But that whole, for Stepton, that whole love-hate relationship, has, it's always been there. It's been there since the beginning. Um, and that that's why I, I liked it. But they, they did two feature films um, as well. Stepton, Sun, Stepton, Sun, Ride Again. Stepton, Sun, Ride Again was where the horse gets pensioned off for a second time. Hercules. So uh, <laughs> he doesn't no, die Hercules though. The second is this the the? No, Hercules the second ends up being actually the funny thing is it's actually in Steptoe and Son the first movie the horse is Delilah, hmm. which is the hmm. horse that is born in a death in the family. So um, so then when it goes to Steptoe and Son Rider, it's back to Hercules and Hercules the second is actually a greyhound. Um, yeah, St- St- Harold Steptoe gets tucked. He gets Made gets he gets drunk at a, like a horse fair thing, and the local gangster gets him so drunk he sells him a greyhound, which is <laughs> basically short sighted. So um, yeah, it's um, <laughs> it's uh, yeah. I, I'm not going to ruin it for you. anyone else is listening because it is quite that really is farce that one. Um, but it's quite funny. It, it's really funny. Um, but they did they did the weird thing they used to do in the UK back then if there was a successful. TV show, they would then recreate it for radio. So every single episode of Steptoe was redone on radio as well. So it was rewritten, re-recorded in front of a live studio audience. Um, and they did the same with things like Dad's Army. That All of those episodes were redone for radio um, as well. So it was, it was, I don't know, now it seems to be radio to TV, then it was TV to radio. I don't know, really weird. Okay, I have a question for you then. Go on. Um, yeah. 
when you convert television to radio, was it the same length? Was it essentially the same script just done into radio or did they shorten it? Because so much no. of it is a visual yeah, no, it, it was the same length. It's still, it's still a half-hour program, but um, there was a lot more dialogue. And mm-hmm. also, if say like, um, yeah, what a beautiful morning episode. It starts off with um, sort of Harold, just uh, sorry, Albert. Look at the letter he's received, right? Uh, and he and he's just sort of look, sitting looking. You don't know what, what he's reading at that point. So for that episode, you'll have a bit of a. They introduce the episode Wilfred Bramble as Albert Steptoe. Then he'll say something sort of like setting the scene for the episode to come and then also and then also starring Harry H. Corbett as Harold and he'll say something, then it'll get in and then you'll have him reading the letter for argument's sake. So that's how they that's how they got round there. And there's a few it's quite weird actually. What they could get away with on television, they couldn't get away with on radio. So some of the so a lot of the time they sell bleeding this and bleeding that. They couldn't say that on radio. Ghoulies, they couldn't go. I can't go back to Ghoulies all the time. They couldn't. They couldn't get away without on radio. So that's a substitute with, with another word, and hmm. it doesn't. It doesn't quite have the same impact. Because you're looking for the a the shock. Again, I'm, I'm referencing that scene. But it's the shock of having that surgical spirit, liberously yeah. doused <laughs> on his <laughs> nether regions, which has got a sting, isn't it? Really. So it's that it's that whole look on his face and the the, the reaction. Oh, me ghoulies, and him running out of the um, ran out of the room to sort of cool himself down somehow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's um, yeah, you do lose that on radio, um, but when you've got more of the the, how can I put it? The less sort of farce orientated episodes, where it's just more more dialogue driven, they tend that transition from TV to radio does work a hell of a lot more. It really does. So, but um, yeah, and they're actually the the, the radio versions they're regularly repeated on a, on a, a BBC Four Extra um, in the in the UK actually. So it's um, so if any anyone wants to try and pick up that they are there to. So you know, I know it's difficult because you've got to have a, t- a, a, a TV license to get onto the uh, BBC Sounds app, but um, it's out there. There's ways around it. Put it that way. I'm, hey, not, I'm not. I'm not. You know. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Phil, I wanted to ask you um, about Sanford and Son. I don't know if you'd seen it, but I, I was. Uh, I grew up on that show, and it, yeah, even as a kid, during the closing credits, it says "based on Steptoe and Son," um, and it's there are some similarities. Uh, they work in a junkyard. There's a grumpy old man who feels sorry for himself most of the time. Uh, his son has a strong guilt complex. <laughs> the the <laughs> mother and or wife had died, and and the in laws were mostly crazy. But um, that's about it. But I didn't know if if you had seen any of those. No, I'd, I'd only seen um, the old clip of Sanford and Son, and um, I know there's never been a a very good track record of British situation comedies tr- successfully transferring to it to a, a u.s audience because i think some of the humor is very very british some of the situations again are very very british and i think it's the same you try and adapt a u.s comedy and try and trans- transfer that to um for a, or write it in, in a uk way it doesn't always work you know right, it's um, right. and, there, and there's been quite a long history so i've never I mean, the famous, the two famous ones that failed um, 
Red Dwarf. Oh my from, god, that's horrible. That's it is horrible. So bad. <laughs> the US um, one is horrible. It's horrible. There are two attempts at that, didn't they? Um yeah. neither of which were successful. Um and the Forty Towers one. Mm-hmm. Which was yeah, great, we love it, love it, but we don't like the Basil Forty character. Get rid of him. Yeah. That yeah. was the whole but again what? that's the whole point of it. But yeah. he's a very, very British character. It's all those British hang ups about class. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and 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 saying the right thing to, to the local gentry and having the right kind of clientele in his hotel. He wanted he didn't what he what he called the riffraff. He wanted lords and ladies and, and you know People with titles after their names, you know that—that's what he was. He was Basil Forty was a colossal snob. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also a psychopath as well, but he was a colossal snob. So you cut him out of that. What? It's just a hotel. Yeah. Then really, you know. So um, yeah, it's um, and then Life on Mars as well, which was taken rather literally at the end of the, the US version, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. So- <laughs> yeah. Also, coupling the the American version of yes. coupling was. Yeah, heinous. Yeah. Well, that they've just done a, a US version of Ghosts, haven't they? If you're familiar with the yeah, and the it's UK doing version. really well. Yes, it, uh, that's almost unheard of to see that it's sort of. I'm really. I don't know if any of the original right, the UK writers are involved in making sure it it sort of follows the same sort of format. But yeah, I understand it's it's doing really well. So uh, it's on my to. list of shows to take a look at. Um, in the near future, there's a. I'm I'm behind in my movies. I'm behind in a, a couple of television programs. But Ghost is definitely one of those programs where, um, I think it will appeal to both myself and my wife, which is really yeah. rare. And so, it, you know, anything. I think I think that's going to be one of those programs where, as soon as we get a reliable, once it the full season's out, yeah, and we know we'll be able to get it streaming, we'll probably jump on that one. Really cool. Oh yeah, no, you should though. It's it's really the uh, ghost is really good. It's fantastic. Maybe actually. who knows? Maybe we'll have a guest uh, in the near future when Ghost fails uh, dramatically, <laughs> and, and and then the show is officially off the air. We'll have another guest on to uh, talk about that one. Talk Either about that, or that the UK exactly. version of it. Uh, but until that time, um, Phil, before we let you go, are are there any uh, projects you'd like to plug? Um. Well, apart from um, the Who's podcast, actually. So. Um, so if you'd like to uh, listen to us, I say it's, it's a, as we said at the beginning, it's a Doctor Who podcast. We're in for over 10 years now. Um, and we discuss all things who. It's like the DWP, really. We, we discuss all things who. So um, so you can, you can find us on Apple Podcasts and Apple uh, sort of and uh, Amazon Music, all, all the all the usual places um, on, on, on the internet. And uh, if you want to look, look us up on our, on our website, it's www.who's-he hyphenpodcast.co.uk you can find a whole back catalogue on there as well and we've also got um, a YouTube channel as well which is the Who's Video Podcast and I've done various things on there um, that we yeah we wouldn't normally do on, on our audio show put it that way so um, but then so just like um, Stemto and Stun yes it is you're going to get is. a different yeah. quality between the visuals and the audio <laughs> well yeah the, the, the video stuff is, is more of a solo project um, it's, it's like it's like an offshoot. It's like a spin-off show, really, more than more than anything else. Um, and actually, coming back round to to, to to classic British radio, I'm sh- due to appear on um, the Goon Show podcast um, in in hopefully in November. I think it's when it should go out. I haven't recorded it yet, so yeah, because that's my other my other um, big 
um, sort of thing that I'm really into is the Goon Show and Spike Milligan and Peter Sellers and Harry Seacombe. So it's um, so I'm very much looking forward to that. And I, I would say it's not my podcast, but I say listen to it because he has some really, really good guests on there. Uh, and it's not just about the goons either. Um, they could talk about Peter Sellers or any of their sort of individual, it could be the Pink Panther films. It could be Peter Sellers' albums that he released um, as well. So it, it's... There's a very lot of varied subjects on there, so it's a it's a very very good show. So I hope um, <laughs> they appreciate the plug I've just given them. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, we look forward to listening to those. Please let us know when when that drops. And the other thing too yeah. is, of course, at the time of recording, we're like you said, one week away from new Doctor Who, and this episode will drop around the same time that we we get the newest episode of of Doctor Who Flux. And as we all know. Once we get Doctor Who on the air, we will just, you know, it's sort of like a spring rain where suddenly all the flowers appear, all the podcasts will pop up. So I look forward to, well, we will look forward to um, spending some time with you talking about Flux as it, it goes out. So, Phil, thank you again for, for joining us this month. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been, a, it's been an absolute joy and a hell of a lot of fun, especially talking about Steptoe and Son. So other than Doctor Who for once, it's been great. Thank you. <laughs> yes, Absolutely. <laughs> And thank you for joining us at Who and Company. Who and Company, come for the fandom. Stay for the company. Thanks for joining us at Who and Company. Special shout out to Pixel Who for providing our logo. They can be found at facebook.com slash pixelwho. Who and Company can be found on iheartradio.com and Spotify. Or you can download the show directly from whoandcompany.libsyn.com. Contact us on Twitter at whoandcompany. Support the show on patreon.com slash whoandcompany. Or email us at whoandcompany at yahoo.com. Thanks, and see you next month. Yeah. I was going to say, you, you've been to where Spike Milligan was born. I've, I've been to his grave. Yeah. Where's that? Winchelsea in East Sussex. Okay. Yeah, because there was that whole thing about he wanted on his headstone, I told you I was ill. Yeah. <laughs>